0: This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The body portion stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, cause I can't.
1: everyone. It's time, once again, for Evidence for Faith, the voice of Ratio Christi. This is the show where we help you answer the question, why should I become a Christian? Hello, I'm Keith Kendricks.
2: And I'm Kirk Hastings.
1: And we have a great show lined up for you today. We've had a little bit of an issue with the phones, so we will see how that works out.
2: Welcome to live radio.
1: Exactly. I was gonna have a couple of news items, but I didn't have a chance to work them up because my son came home from the army and he wanted to play a little golf. So we were out after church this morning playing some golf this afternoon.
2: Miniature golf or the real thing?
1: Yeah, no, the big golf. So, <laughs> I, although I think I play about as well,
2: I'm good so at miniature play golf. Miniature
1: golf on the big on the big course. I just you know <laughs> use the putter and and go 350 yards. Okay. <laughs> What do you get? About a score of 72, I think, is par for 18 holes. That's what I do in about nine holes. Okay. So.
2: Well, just play nine holes then.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) There you go. So we played. We had time for about 11 holes today. Well, we do have a quote, and let's see if um, while I'm doing this quote, if I can communicate with our engineer and see how we're doing on getting our number two caller lined up.
2: He's looking a little confused here.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, there's an issue with the phones. It looks like we can only take one call at a time today. So
2: Right, that's what he said.
1: Yeah. Well, let's open with our quote of the day. And this is a great one if you think about what atheists have been saying recently about their moral character and how they can be as good as Christians, without God. And I'm thinking specifically of the rally that was down in Washington, D.C., the Reason rally where atheists were running around with posters that said, good without God. But if there's
2: no God, why bother to be good?
1: Yes, they'll tell you that also. (laughs) This is the quote from C.S. Lewis that addresses that issue. He says, no man who says, I'm as good as you, believes it. He would not say it if he did. The Saint Bernard never says it to the toy dog, nor the scholar to the dunce, nor the employable to the bum, nor the pretty woman to the plain. The claim to equality outside the strictly political field is made only by those who feel themselves to be in some way inferior. What it expresses is precisely the itching, smarting, writhing awareness of an inferiority That the patient refuses to accept and therefore resents. That from C.S. Lewis.
2: Hmm. That sounds like the little kid going, I'm as good as you are. But he doesn't really think that.
1: Good without God. Right. All right. So we have one of our guests, Julie Miller, on. But I'm a little afraid that we might lose our second guest while he is trying to call in.
2: They're in two different places.
1: Yes, they're at different places.
2: Okay, because I think he's only got one phone line here, so that's the problem.
1: (laughs) Yep, we're down to one phone line today. Right. So, I'll tell you what, let's, oh, okay, no, okay, so he is saying that he'll be on hold. All right, very good. Our engineer is telling us that our number two is on hold, which is where he's supposed to be. Well, let's bring Julie Miller on board. All right. Julie is a Rossio Christi director for Rutgers. Let me bring her on. Julie, welcome to Evidence for Faith. Hi, Keith.
0: Just up the road from you.
1: Exactly. About two hours north of where we are, and a beautiful campus, I understand.
0: It is, and, you know, there's five campuses uh, at at that location, so it's kind of sprawling.
1: Well, Julie, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in Roscio Christi and working with college kids.
0: Well, actually, um, I was towards the end of getting my master's at Biola, like you have, in Christian apologetics, and I happened to catch Rick Schenker on the Apologetics 315 interview he did um, about a a little over a year ago, last March, March of 2011, and uh, I had been wondering what the heck was I going to do and praying that the Lord would show me how to use my apologetics knowledge and education. And it was just very uh, appealing to me, and with Rutgers so close to where I live, um, I, that's how I got involved with it.
1: Wonderful. So tell everybody a little bit about Rasho Christie and what we do with the kids, and I, I keep calling them kids, but they are college students.
0: <laughs> they're kids. I call them kids too, but they're students. Exactly. Um, like potential well, well, I adults, Christie, I guess. Well, of course, like, like you said on the show, means reason of Christ. And so we're all about giving evidence and reasons and, and uh, logic from science, history, philosophy for the truth claims of Christianity, because Christ- Christianity makes sense of reality, the way things really are. And we, we need this kind of voice in the secular university. It's very hostile, I'm sure, at your, at your school and, and definitely at, Rus- at Rutgers um, for Christian students and for Christian professors. And it's really a spiritual battle. Um, it's a battle of ideologies, just like 2 Corinthians 10.4 says that we're to use uh, what God gives us to destroy speculations raised up against the knowledge of God. And so for our purposes, we use apologetics to do this. And we have two aims. You know, we want to strengthen the faith of the Christian students that come to our meetings every week, and then we also want to reach out to skeptics and seekers, non-Christian students and faculty, uh, and encourage them to come to our meetings and voice their objections to Christianity that have gone unanswered for them. And we we um, host events, which is what we're going (laughs) to kind of talk about what what we did in the spring, and we try to host at least one event per semester. uh, for it so to be campus-wide so that everybody would be interested in coming.
1: And have you heard from your students, as I have heard from mine, and just so our listeners understand, I do the chapter that's at Richard Stockton College outside of Atlantic City, New Jersey, and I have found the students telling us that it is a very hostile environment in the sense that the teachers are openly promoting atheism, assigning some of these not academic books, not textbooks, but written for the common man kind of uh, blasting Christianity books about atheism and assigning those as textbooks to be read in their classes. Are, are you finding the same thing there?
0: I don't know about the, the books they're assigned, but I do know, and it depends on what um, degree they're majoring in, but it, either they're getting a postmodern you know, worldview— um, in, in the classroom and from the professors, or they're getting just a strictly naturalistic, materialistic worldview, an atheist worldview from from their pr- professors. So, you know, probably my journalism kids, my history, English, are getting a lot of postmodernism, um, all the sci- biology, science, engineering, they're all getting a naturalistic worldview. So, and, and, and there's a lot of uh, snarkiness towards Christian students in the classroom, and it's you know, they're they're if, if they come from either a Christian high school or even homeschool, they're really not ready for that, and and um, that's what we're there for—to help them, to help them uh, have the answers and the confidence in class to answer the attacks that they're getting in the classroom, to be able to have something to say.
1: Well, can you give us an example of some of the events you've done, some of the uh, interactions that you've had with students, and? Um, just exactly what's been going on up at Rutgers?
0: Well, I'll tell you. Um, we we just started our, our group just started in October of, of the fall semester, and very shortly after, we had an invitation, um, just in, by email, it sort of an email blast, that the MSA, the Muslim Student Association, was having an event that uh, kind of like an art event. It was it was Islamic art. And they wanted us to come. Well, um, my office, at that time, we had like three people coming. I mean, that's how new we were. <laughs> we had just our officers and me. And so my president, Isaac Woodward, he said, well, we've got we to go to this. And I said, I know. We, we, we need to go. We need to go introduce ourselves and just reach out to them and make sure they know who we are and that we're interested in um, having a dialogue with them. So we went, and really, there weren't very many people that showed up to this event. It was really just the MSA that was there. And so here we walk in, and uh, we're basically surrounded. We had their full attention for about probably an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And um, Muslims are very sure about the objections they have to Christianity. And so that's what we got for about an hour and a half, just kind of rapid-fire uh you know, not giving us time to answer, really, but just just objection after objection. Um, but we we tried to we tried to keep it pretty civil, and we were doing the best we could to address their objections. I don't think we were doing a very good job, but we we were we were uh, giving what we had. We hadn't studied Islam as of yet in the group. So at the end, I, their, their adult leader, not the student leader, but the, the adult leader, kind of my counterpart, I, um, I think his name was Muhammad, I said, what we'd really like to do is just instead of handling all these objections at once, we'd really love to have a dialogue with you at our group meetings so that we could maybe just talk about these things and answer some of the objections one by one. And so he said, yeah, that, that would be great. And I said, well, after, this is kind of at the end of the semester, so I said, well, after we come back in January, we'll we'll make a formal invitation, like, to your three best uh, students to come to our meeting for this. We'll call it, a, like, a forum. Well, no longer, okay, so that was good, and we decided we were going to study up, and this was, it, it, this was, we saw it felt like God was giving us this challenge. Really? And so... Right before we came back for the spring semester, the president and I received this email from the MSA saying they wanted to have five interfaith dialogues in the spring, that they were going to host them, and they wanted it to be Jewish, Christian, and Islam uh, interfaith dialogues on five different topics.
1: Wonderful. Uh,
0: that's great, They, you know, they're yeah. taking the ball and running. That's what we wanted to do anyway, and so we don't have to host it. We'll just help host what they're doing, and so we agreed, and um, actually, it was unclear whether they were going to use scholars or students or what kind of form it was, and after, and I kind of needed to know, because the very first forum was going to be January 31st, and so we're already middle of January, so I'm a little bit antsy. Finally, they told me they were using scholars, and so I thought, okay, who can I get that knows a lot about Islam to help us? And I knew that David Wood was sort of close by in the Bronx, and so I, he, he's so wonderful. I mean, I, call, I emailed him short notice, and he really wanted to help us. Right. And, he's, and just, he's uh, just such- so
1: in- we think we have David on hold. So with the phone issue in the past, we've been able to bring two callers on or even more callers on. But today it looks like while everybody can be on hold together and hear each other, we can only bring one of you on at a time. So okay. um, we're praying that David is on hold right now listening to us. So hang on, David, we'll bring you in in a minute. So, uh, so sorry to interrupt, Julie go ahead and, and tell us you thought about David Wood, and he's with uh, nabil Qureshi uh, in a ministry ex- uh, to, that reaches out ministry. to muslims what he's in a ministry that reaches Muslims
0: oh yes he is very much yes that that he is he's he's the man <laughs> as That's far right. as i'm concerned um and he was eager to come because the, I mean, the Muslim population at Rutgers is, is huge, and their MSA group. I think their their MSA group on Facebook has a thousand members. Okay. Wow. That gives you kind of a, a, a that gives you a taste for, for the amount of the population we have. So um, the very first forum was on the concept of God, mm-hmm. and there were I think there was probably about two hundred students there, students and, and attendees. And uh, David just did a fabulous job, uh, just awesome because he had the challenge of, of course, explaining the Trinity, the incarnation, the divinity of of Christ, and how Christ could die on the cross. He had a great analogy for that, and I'll let you ask him about that because I think it's worth mentioning. Um, And during the Q and A, he just had which which wasn't always about the concept of God. It had a a range of issues and all in the Q and A, and he. I just answered thoroughly and probably answers that these Muslim students had never heard before. You know, they never heard that the, the, the answers could be given to their objections. Right. And um, so it, it was quite wonderful. He knows the Quran, and so he knows Islam, and so he's just able to speak to them on, on that kind of level, of someone who is respectful enough to know their religion, to know Islam, uh, well, and to have studied it and respect it, and respect the Quran, and and he was very um, civil, and so were they. I thought it was a very it 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 wasn't like a debate; it was like a forum, and um, so we thought everything went great, and and I think it went so well for David and his his uh, view of of the concept of God in Christianity. That they canceled the next two abruptly, like even the very the very next week, I got the email from Aisha, who was my contact, uh, who said they they were just going to cancel the next two forums. Mm. So, uh, just to say uh, that it was it, the communication with the MSA for for me, and of course, being a woman, I can't. I was in no communication with any any. Uh, Officer that was a guy or a male leader, or anything was never in communication with me. It was always um, sort of this liaison girl, that uh, Muslim girl, Al- Aisha, who was very sweet, who was always trying to communicate with me. But really, so there was very little communication. All I knew was that they canceled the next two. And they had said they were uh, very disappointed or offended at uh, David's uh, misrepresentation of Islam, which was not right. So <laughs> they, they just voiced that, and then, you know, as, as an objection, and so David said, well, find out exactly what they're talking about, because that's serious. I need to be able to explain uh, if, they're, if they're saying I misrepresented Islam. So there were all these emails and questions, like three different times I asked them to just let me know specifically what the objection is so that David has a chance to respond, and never, they never did. So uh, it, it, it got worse uh, when we were bringing Nabeel Qureshi in for the fourth forum, which was the Preservation of the Holy Text, which is kind of his specialty. And about a week, week or two before when we were doing all of our advertising for that forum and we had Nabil's name out and picture and everything, about a week before they pulled out of that one just abruptly, Mm. and didn't even tell me personally, just went through the channel of our advisor at the school who told us that it was canceled abruptly. Right. (laughs) So then the last one, which we thought we were still having, and and, uh, David was going to do the last forum, which was on the accountability and the day of judgment, was supposed to be April 16th. We were all ready for that one. And a week before that one, they fired us, and said they got the Catholic Center to represent Christianity for <laughs> that forum. <laughs> so there it you. was.
2: It sounds like David Wood really shook them up.
0: <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, it's obvious he did. He just um, it wasn't what they were hoping for. The, the 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 whole deal is that what what we learned is that they really want the appear- the MSA. I'm talking about the in in the leadership. They want to have the appearance of having an open dialogue with Jews and Christians, and um, by having this forum, but they really don't want to have a serious intellectual open dialogue about Islam and Christianity and Judaism.
1: Yeah, they probably want to show off the similarities and want to say, hey, we're an option too, you Christians ought to think about us when you're thinking about religion.
0: Yeah, it's it, uh, it's a very kind of surface thing that they had going, and and what I hear is that they have had these before, but they just never had invited anyone who was really ready for it, you know, right. like David, and so I, that that's why they liked the Catholic Center, you know, they gave Sister Ellen, they gave her like three days notice to come and talk about, you know, and it was it, it that that was more what they were interested in than having a very um, very intellectual, rational dialogue. No, yeah. these people from
2: the Catholic uh, organization were they considered scholars or not?
0: <laughs> well, they, they I mean, they—they they got Sister Ellen, so that was their scholar. And 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 to to be you know to be fair, the the Hillel group chose their rabbi on campus, you know, to, to do their um, presentation.
1: Now the but the uh,
0: the Islamic group, the the MSA, for the last. Uh, forum got an imam who, uh, I forget his name now, he's, he's an American, and he was definitely a scholar. He was an imam, so it wasn't just the normal Muslim speaker at the mosque. It was a pretty uh, heavy hitter. So they, they definitely, you know, as David tried to explain to me and sort of cheer me up after I thought it was a whole debacle of what had happened, it all fell apart. But he said, "What it is is you know they're an authoritarian religion, and they have authority over all of these Muslim. You know, if, if there's really a thousand Muslim students who are kind of in their MSA, um, they can't even afford to have them hear the truth about the Quran or the or the real answers to their objections to the Trinity and the Incarnation. Um, it's just too it, it's too risky for them. So yep. that's yep. that's why the response the the that's why the abruptness and everything of the response is like, if we make their authority, if we make the authority of the MSA look bad, you know, um, they can't, that can't stand, they can't, that can't stand.
1: Now, we had an interesting contact with the MSA at Richard Stockton College. The vice president of the MSA came to our, one of our meetings and spent about an hour asking questions and talking with him. Yeah. And he was a former Christian who had converted to Islam when he was about 14 years old. Uh-huh. And so I asked him some questions and made some observations. I also have read the Quran, so I asked him some questions about some of the things that I had read in the Quran. And we went online and looked up some things. And sure enough, I was right about what I had said. And he wrote me a very nice email the next day thanking me for our conversation and saying that he was reading the Bible again for the first time in many years. And that is awesome. Yeah, really well, good. Well, I'll
0: I tell you I what we, what we found, keep... is that the actual students in the MSA, the, not yeah, the leaders, the not the adult leaders, but the Leader. students in the MSA, yep. they and... are still, they are not put off by, by you know, Rossio Christie at all. And it seems to me like our our aim now is to really, gut, instead of doing a function where we've got to go through the leadership of the MSA, the adult leadership of the MSA, um, is just to really concentrate on reaching out to individual Muslims that they have in their classes, that they have in their dorms, that they meet on campus. And right. we have two resources that David has given us. One is about, uh, you know, is the Quran perfectly? Preserved. It, you know, that's the truth claim of, of Islam. It's a brochure about that, and then there's a, a, a little short book. It's not too long, and you may have heard it. It's really great by Keith Small. Holy books have a history, and it goes through the history of the Bible and the Quran, and just tells the truth. You know, so we have two resources that we can give out to individual. Like you said, I think that the individual Muslims in the M- MSA are more open to dialogue and continuing discussion um, out of uh, out of the eyes of the of right. the authority.
1: Well, the experience you know? that I had with this student after. Trying to stay in touch with him, I ba- he basically didn't respond anymore after that one very nice email. So it sounds like after the first day, he must have spoken up to somebody, and yeah, I, I'm assuming that they put the kibosh on that. So because he never he never <laughs> well, contacted me again, uh, well, even it's though very I wrote him several nice emails encouraging him to just stay in touch. Uh, you
0: cannot re- you can't challenge, you know. Uh, it's difficult for us to understand in Christianity, because no one is forced... If we reject Christianity, we still can feel like no one's going to kill us, you know? Right. No, so no one has a price out on our head for rejecting Christianity. So, But it's not the same in Islam.
1: Right. Well, uh, if you are just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith, a ministry of Ratio Christi. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings. And we're speaking with Julie Miller, the Rashio Christi director at Rutgers, about her efforts to reach out to the Muslim community at Rutgers. Now, Julie, we're going to try to switch over. We're having a little bit of difficulty with the phones today. We're going to try to switch over to David, which means that we won't be able to okay. keep you on, Julie. We think you're going to be on hold so that we might be able to come back to you if we needed to. We think you'll be able to hear the conversation also. So this is what my engineering is uh, texting me. Okay,
0: good.
1: So let's try that. Then we're going to try to bring on David Wood. All right, wonderful. Julia, it's a pleasure having you on Evidence for Faith.
0: Thanks for having me, Keith. Yeah, thanks a lot. Okay, bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. And John, our engineer, is, uh, I'm sure, trying to make the transition now. So let's see if we can bring David Wood back
2: up. He's pushing buttons here.
1: And David, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Ah, so it is working. Okay, well, sorry about that, David. No problem. We've got an issue today where we can only bring up one caller at a time. Yeah, I heard. David, uh, welcome to Evidence for Faith. That's good to be here. David, can you go ahead and give our listeners an idea about your ministry and your website and all the good work that I've been following now for several years?
3: Well, uh, I grew up as an atheist, so I've always been more interested in dealing with the uh, objections of, uh, of atheists than with Muslims. But uh, Nabil for um, for several years, as we discussed Christianity and Islam, was, was my best friend. And uh, so I ended up dealing with uh, the objections of Muslims just because my best friend happened to be uh, a Muslim. And uh, you know, sometimes I wonder if my best friend had been a Mormon or something like that, or a Jehovah's Witness, Christ. if I'd be uh, interested in that right now. Um, But Nabil and I discussed Christianity and Islam for several years. Uh, He um, eventually uh, became a Christian, and when he did, I thought my my first reaction was, you know, cool, now I can get back to dealing with atheists. And it didn't turn out that way, because um, uh, Muslims, lots of Muslims around the world, don't get too happy when uh, when someone converts. And so people started uh, challenging him to... Uh, come out and debate and so on and uh, defend his reasons for converting. And, uh, and, you know, at that point I was thinking, hey, you're not going to go after him and not go after both of us. So uh, we actually ended up going uh, to various places and uh, having dialogues and debates and so on, and uh, that's just uh, what I've been doing ever since. Wonderful.
1: Now, our listeners might remember that Nabil Qureshi was a guest on Evidence for Faith a couple of years ago when he wound up being arrested in the United States of America for presenting the gospel in a very peaceful manner, and David, I guess you were there. Were you the one that was filming that exchange?
3: Yeah, I was actually standing there uh, with a video camera, uh, recording, um, recording the questions and answers, and the the group of young Muslims there who were, I'd say, you know, in the fifteen year old ball fifteen year old ballpark. Um, they're asking great questions. They're asking the, the questions that we hear all the time, and we know that Muslims have these questions, and uh, they're the questions we, you know we're there to answer. Those are the kinds of questions we want to uh, we want to respond to. So it's things like, uh, you Christians believe Jesus is God, but you believe Jesus died. So how can you believe how can you believe God died? How can God die? It doesn't make any sense. And if you don't understand Christian theology, that's a that's a perfectly valid question. Um, and asking questions about the New Testament, asking questions about the deity of Christ, and so these are the great questions that we want to uh, we want to answer. And uh, while Nabil is having this perfectly peaceful discussion, uh, police come uh, come up, put us all put us all in handcuffs, and uh, uh, throw us in jail. And so found out that different rules seem to apply in uh, in Dearborn.
1: Yeah, apparently. Well, apparently they've apparently there's this legal. Ability now for the police to create free speech zones, which are far away from wherever the public activity is going on. I know this happened uh, here in Atlantic City, where a couple of members of a political group were arrested because they were picketing outside on a public sidewalk, but they were not within the free speech zone that the police had chosen, which was, you know, 200 yards away. From the event in question, and uh, that's a—I really think that's a terrible attack on the First Amendment uh, rights that we have for free speech. But I that apparently the, uh, is the way things are. Was I there any the f- resolution to this? Did was there a lawsuit or any new results about mm-hmm. all of this?
3: Uh, yeah, we're actually uh, we're actually suing the city of Dearborn for um, violating our First Amendment rights and a couple of other uh, amendment rights. Um, but, yeah, there was a free speech zone at the festival that applied to people who were uh, who were protesting and so on, uh, which we weren't. We were answering the mm-hmm. questions of some Muslims who came up to us and started asking us questions. And uh, there's never been any, any law in the United States of America that says, you know, people who right. want to have a discussion can't do so in public. They have to go to a certain zone.
2: I thought yep. the free speech zone in the United States was from the Atlantic to the Pacific at one time. Yeah,
3: that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> No, um... and they've 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 already lost. They've already lost uh, several times in court. So they want us to defend. uh, uh, They just made a rule. The police just announced that they're not going to allow. uh, They're not going to allow people to distribute materials on the on the on the public sidewalks in Dearborn near the Arab festival, Um, and uh, that that went to court. And uh, uh, higher court said uh, you, you can't do that. People can hand out stuff all they want. This is the United States, and so. Uh, so it's, it's a slow process, but uh, we see some, uh, we see some improvements.
1: Wonderful. Well, David, before we get into some actual discussion about the differences between Islam and Christianity, can you tell us a little bit about your ministry website, that kind of thing that people could look at?
3: well i uh, I write for a couple of websites the The main site that i um, that I keep active on is answeringmuslims.com it's uh, it's a blog. And it, it's kind of a debate site. So Muslims come on there and uh, raise objections, um, and you know we, we answer them the best they can. And so uh, uh, answeringmuslims.com, is, uh, we have lots of videos. We have probably, I don't know, 60 or 70 um, debates posted there. I've done, I think, a little over 30 uh, public debates with Muslims. So uh, we do those, we post them, and then Christians, Muslims... Uh, atheists are are free to uh, post comments and uh, have a discussion there.
1: Wonderful. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith, a ministry of Ratio Christi. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings in the Free Speech Zone. (laughs) Exactly, of the United States. And we're talking with Dr. David Wood, who is an expert on Islam. And David, if you could help us walk through some Imagine that you're talking to the listenership, and they are people who are interested in Christianity, but they're also interested in Islam, they're, they're uh, seeking. What would you say is the, something that the, that kind of a seeker needs to think about, about the differences between Christianity and Islam?
3: Well, there are, uh, there are plenty of uh, moral and ethical differences between Christianity and Islam, and uh, as well as theological differences. And, and, you know, I should point out, just, you know, just to be fair, that, that we do have plenty of similarities. Uh, you know, Christians and Muslims agree that uh, one God uh, created the universe, that this God is uh, perfect, that uh, we even agree uh, on lots of things when it comes to Jesus. So Muslims are uh, pretty much the only people in the world who agree with us that Jesus was born of a virgin. And Muslims believe that Jesus performed all kinds of miracles, they even believe that Jesus uh, was the Messiah. So they agree with us on on lots of things, but um, uh, when we get down to certain core beliefs about God and about how people can be reconciled to God, uh, we find some massive differences. And so, for instance, uh, according to Christianity, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells his followers uh, to love everyone, not just to love people who, you know, you think you're going to get something out of them or something. He tells his followers to love everyone, but it's so that we can be like our Heavenly Father. And so, according to Christianity, God loves everybody. And according to Islam, God only loves good Muslims. So if you go to uh, Surah 3, verse 32 of the Quran, it specifically says, God does not love the unbelievers. And you go through the Quran, it says all kinds of people that God doesn't love at all. And so, you know, right here from the, from the beginning, on the one hand, you can see how this would affect uh, people's attitude towards outsiders. If I'm a Christian, and I believe... God loves everybody, well, I'm not free to, to go out and, and, you know, kill people I disagree with. Um, if I'm a Muslim, I look over there and I see a non-believer, and I'm told that God has no love for that person. Well, that that could that could uh, uh, affect our dealings with, with other people. But on the other hand, it also has an impact on, uh, you know, just, just our assessment of theology. Uh, as a Christian, I would believe that since God is uh, perfect and infinite, he's going to be perfect in his attributes as well. And so if I'm told... Um, that there 's a God, and his uh, his love and his mercy are limited and in christianity they 're not and but but the Islamic alternative um, is very, very, very small degree of of love. Then I start thinking, well. I could I could easily I could easily conceive of a being greater than your God. That's kind of a that's kind of a medieval uh, definition of God. God is the the greatest possible being that can be dis, uh, conceived. In other uh-huh. words, if you can think of a being greater than the God you're talking about, it, you're not really talking about God. And so, when when I think about Islam, Jesus actually condemned that kind of love. He condemned the kind of love that uh, that Allah exhibits. And so. You know I can easily think of a, of a being greater than Allah in various ways, greater in love, greater in mercy, um, actually greater in power and knowledge if we get down to some of the other details. Hmm. Um, but those are some of the kind of uh, theological um, differences. We have ethical uh, differences um, and probably not too much time to go into them but uh, but for, for instance, what we' just what I just mentioned with Christians being commanded uh, to love everyone and if you go throughout the new testament you find christians aren't allowed to go out and uh fight and subjugate uh, non-christians uh, we're told to love everyone to harm no one to put down our swords things like that right but in islam uh, in islam muslims are actually commanded to violently subjugate uh, all non-muslims now that now when i say that i want to be I want to be clear here, when you talk to a Muslim in the West and he tells you Islam is a religion of peace, don't think, oh, this guy's got to be lying to us. The, the Muslim in the West who grew up around the same values that we grew up around probably believes that, probably believes that Islam is a religion of peace. Um, uh, but we're talking about what Islam actually commands here. And Muhammad's final marching orders for his Muslim followers are in Surah 929. It was one of the last revelations revealed. And uh, in Surah 929, the Quran, specifically commands Muslims to go out and subjugate Jews and Christians uh, until we pay tribute to the Muslims and feel ourselves subdued. And that's actually, we actually get better treatment because we're, according to the Quran, we're the people of the book. Um, we, have true, we have true revelation from God. Um, pagans, uh, polytheists and so on, uh, had much worse treatment. They had to convert or die or run as fast as they can.
2: Mm. And
3: so uh, if we're talking about you know, differences between uh, Christianity and Islam, um, you, can, you can think about the, the kind of society that, uh, that Christianity would, would give rise to if Christians actually seriously followed uh, the teachings that have been given to them and that, that most, the kind of society Muslims would create if they really uh, followed the teachings that have been given to them. Now, that you know, it's, it's, it's important to note that people don't always, whether Christians or Muslims, follow the teachings that have been given to them. Um, but if we look at the actual teachings themselves, very, very different. So,
1: David, you would take umbrage then with the New York Times journalist who, following September 11th, said that the problem was fundamentalism, by which he was comparing Islamic fundamentalism with Christian fundamentalism. You say he's wrong.
3: Well, uh, uh, if it, I mean, if... He- it depends on what you mean by fundamentalist. I mean, I would take a fundamentalist to be someone who says, I'm just totally going to stick to the fundamentals of my religion. And if you're a Christian, you say, I'm just totally going to stick with the fundamentals of my religion. I'm not going to let anything else influence me. Well, what are the things you're going to have to believe? You're going to have to believe that that God loves everyone, that you're not allowed to harm anyone, that you're not allowed to violently subjugate people. And so... Uh, You might not be nice in the way you're sharing the gospel or something like that. You might be a street preacher or something like that. Um, But you're not going to be violent. You're not going to be out there trying to to kill unbelievers. Whereas if you're a Muslim and you say uh, you're a fundamentalist, well, if you're going to stick to the fundamentals of Islam, then you get something else entirely. Muhammad said, as a direct quotation, I've been ordered to fight people till they testify La ilaha illallah. There's no one. There's uh, there's no god but Allah. And whoever said this, Allah will save his property and his life from me. Um, Muhammad said uh, that he's going to um, expel the Jews and Christians from the Arabian Peninsula and not, will not leave any but Muslims. And that's why you don't have any churches or anything down there. It's because of Muhammad. So uh, I think when people say things like that, they really have no clue what they're saying. Right. They're sitting back looking exactly. and say, okay, they're
1: Christians. That's exactly right. They're
3: Christians. They believe certain things. They're Muslims. They believe certain things. Both groups have committed violence in their past. And yep. how can these Christians condemn violence when, they're, when Christians have committed violence in the past? And now Muslims are doing it, and they're pointing a finger at Islam, but it's not Islam, it's just the radicals. Uh, no, Muslims are specifically commanded to violently subjugate. Christians have never been commanded to violently subjugate anyone, not, not, by, their, not by their scriptures. Right, and, and, and so, if they
1: do, they're violating their own religious principles. So we need a little yeah. bit more fundamentalism yeah. that says, love your enemies.
3: Yeah, and so it's, it's actually the exact opposite. You have most Muslims... Uh, in the West, are not violently subjugating anyone, but when they live in peace with, when they live in peace with non-Muslims, and I'm glad they do, and I hope they continue to do so, when they live in peace with non-Muslims, they're actually the ones disobeying their scriptures, whereas Christians, who have historically at times. Um, Engaged in violent activities, when they do so, when they engage in the violent activities, they're actually disobeying their scriptures. So you can find a spectrum of people. You can find, uh, you could find among any group, people who commit violence and people who live in peace. Um, but at, at the end of the day, uh, some people are obeying their scriptures and others aren't.
1: aren't. Now, David, when you were speaking for Julie Miller at Rutgers, she said you had this really interesting analogy about the cross. Uh, maybe you'd, if you have time, maybe you'd like to uh, tell us about that.
3: Yeah, well, uh, it's actually, and, and Christians who are, there are Christians out there who are worried about uh, responding to Muslims cause they don't, because they don't know what kind of objections the Muslims are going to raise, and they don't have a background in studying those kind of responses to those objections, and they think they're going to be caught off guard. And it's important for people to keep in mind that I'd say there are about five or six objections that I hear from pretty much every Muslim I run into, mm. and they're the same objections over and over and over again. And on the one hand, that tells you Muslims aren't getting answers to these objections, because if they were, they would, they would not be asking these questions over and over. But on the other hand, it should tell us if, if there's only five or six major objections out there, that's something we can actually sit down and prepare answers for and be ready to the vast majority of things Muslims are going to say. And I would say that almost everything a Muslim says to you, uh, with a, a, a small amount of training, very easy to respond to. There are different objections, like, you know, if a Muslim really wants to have a, a detailed discussion of the Trinity, well, that might take a while. But most of the objections that Muslims give us are so easy to respond to, it's almost embarrassing that we don't. And so one of the objections which I brought up, uh, saying that, you know, this group of kids was asking Nabiel questions like this, is, um, how can God die? Or various versions of that, how can God die? You believe God is eternal, and something eternal can't die, um, so how's God going to die? And so this is raised as a kind of a problem for us Christians. And it makes sense until Muslims realize what they actually believe. And they actually believe something very similar about the Quran. According to Islamic theology, uh, the Quran, the speech of Allah, is one of Allah's eternal attributes. So it has no beginning. It's co-eternal with Allah. It's one of his attributes. So according to Islamic theology, the Quran is uncreated. It has no beginning. It can't be destroyed. It's eternal. It's eternal. And so, when a Muslim asks the objection about something like the incarnation, I just pick up the Quran and I say, you know, is, is did this book have a beginning? And they're going to have a problem there because, according to Islamic theology, the Quran has two natures. Muslims, most Muslims haven't thought about this, but the Quran is supposedly the eternal uncreated, incorruptible word of Allah, and yet I can, I've got this Quran in my hand, and I'm saying, wait, you're telling me this can't be destroyed? This had no beginning. It says Amana Publications right there on it. It had a beginning. It's made of paper and ink and glue. If Pastor Terry Jones comes up here, he might decide to burn it. Um, So what do you mean that this book is eternal and uncreated? And so then you start getting to, the Muslim. and again, the Muslims never thought about this. It's what he believes, but he's never really thought about it. According to Islam, the uncreated, incorruptible word of Allah never changes, but it enters our creation as a physical Qur'an, which is created and which can be destroyed, and which does have a beginning. So when the Qur'an takes on a physical nature, that physical nature can then be destroyed, even though the eternal Qur'an can't be destroyed. And then so once you kind of go through that with the Muslim, and then you say, now what was your objection to our belief that in the beginning (laughs) was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that since since the Word had taken on a physical nature, it can then die, but the eternal Word would not be destroyed? What was your objection to that? And I've never seen a Muslim respond after that. They switch to another topic.
1: (laughs) Wonderful. That sounds great, David. Perfect. Well, listen, David, we've got about five minutes uh, left and I was really interested. I know I heard a little bit of your story when years ago you and I and Nabil had lunch out in California when Nabil and I were at Biola together and you told the story of how you left atheism. So if you can give us that in about four minutes, we'd love to hear because we have a lot of listeners actually that are atheists.
3: I can't quite give a a four-minute version, um, but I'll I'll say, you know, one day I started messing around with with the wrong Christian, and (laughs) I'd been uh, talking to Christians for years, and uh, almost without fail, they would always back down and say, uh, you know, hey, we don't want to argue about this stuff. Um, I'll pray for you, you know, things like that. And one day, I walked up to a Christian, and he's reading his Bible, and I said, hey, you know why you're reading the Bible? You're reading the Bible because you're born in the United States. If you've been born anywhere else, you believe in something else, because people like you believe whatever you're taught to believe. And all of a sudden, this Christian just took me to school, and, and uh, I wasn't used to that. And so, you know, I kept coming back to him because I wanted to, to kind of, you know, win the argument. And made me so mad, I actually went and started studying more and more to come back and refute this guy. And along the way, I realized that just just from my own uh, just from my own studying that, that Christianity stands or falls with the resurrection. I hadn't even read First Corinthians yet, but I understood that that everything stands or falls with the resurrection. And then, so I kind of went right after the resurrection and uh, realized after a while that every shred of evidence I have tells me Jesus died by crucifixion, and every evidence, every shred of evidence I have tells me he was alive again uh, after he died by crucifixion, and. So it started looking to me like I got a miracle there. And the more I said the more I realized the evidence just confirms that, uh, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then after that, uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to listen to anyone tell me about God, I'd listen to this guy. If anyone has God's stamp of approval on him, it's, it's this guy. And so I'm going to believe in his message and, and see what happens and uh, never look back after that.
1: Wonderful. Well, so that's very encouraging, then. What you're saying is that if Christians will take the time and bother to study and get some answers for some of these common accusations that are leveled at them by atheists and stand up to them, uh, we might be able to reach some of them after all.
3: Yeah, and uh, I, would actually, I would actually say the, the objections of atheists are, are far more Far more uh, sophisticated than the, than the objections of Muslims. If you really want to go out there and deal with atheists, you're going to have to uh, do, you know, to do some studying. Uh, um, you know, and you, you could you could get basic answers and so on with a little bit of study. Um, but there's a there's a difference with Islam in that Christians out there with I'd say 15 hours of uh, of training could. Uh, would have no problem at all with ninety nine percent of the Muslims they'd ever interact with. It's that easy. It's that easy. There's only a couple of things they can bring up.
1: Okay, so
3: it's just tougher
1: with the atheists.
3: It's not necessarily tougher, but they have a, they have a, they seem to have a larger variety. I mean, they have their, their stock things like the the you know problem of evil and so on. Um, but because the Muslim agrees with us on certain things that they're not allowed to object to it kind of narrows down the issues they're allowed to object to. And that's what I did with the Quran example. I just said, actually, my Muslim friend, you're not allowed to object on this. Uh, you're not allowed to raise objections about this. And you can do that with most of the Muslim objections, show, hey, actually, you haven't thought about this, but if it's a problem for us, it's a problem for you, because you have something very similar. And so the the number of objections that Muslims can raise is, uh, is minor compared with the atheists, who, who can just object to anything. Gotcha.
1: Well, It's David Wood, it's been a pleasure having you on Evidence for Faith. Do you want to just give us quickly your website again?
3: Uh, People want to uh, learn to respond to Islam and to defend uh, the Gospel towards Muslim objections, then go to answeringmuslims.com.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, David. We really appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, you've been listening to Evidence for Faith, a ministry of Ratio Christi. Send your comments and questions to email at evidenceforfaith.com. Join us again next week for more reasons to believe and always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.